0: If you take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 37 as we work our way through the Psalter, one psalm at a time, Lord willing, our plan is to go through Psalm 50 before we go elsewhere in Scripture, not that we couldn't go further, but uh, we figure uh, that will at least get us through one-third of the Psalms before we move on to another portion of God's Scripture. So that is the, the plan. Well, tonight, Psalm 37 is a little bit of a longer psalm than what we've been used to, but it's always good to hear God's word, not only preached, but read as well. And so please give your reverent and diligent listening and hearing to God's word from Psalm 37. Psalm of David. Fret not yourself because the evildoers be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord, Do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He'll bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the ones who prosper in his ways, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows, to bring down the poor and the needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the day of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They shall not be put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they'll have an abundance." But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pasture. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. Steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so you shall dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will forsake his saints, not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watch for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord. Keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree. But he passed away. Behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. The transgressors shall be altogether destroyed, the future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge. In him. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Well, tonight's sermon is entitled God's Plan for Your Life. So, if you're wondering what God's plan was for your life, you're in luck for being here tonight. So, hopefully, by God's grace, we will see what it is that God would have for us. There was something when I was growing up that was very popular in greater evangelical circles. And it was this question that was often posed, and that is, what is God's plan for your life? And that thought, that idea, I think came out of that little track, the the four spiritual laws, which law number one was, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. So you'd often hear, at least I did, from youth group leaders and speakers What do you think God is telling you? What is his plan for your life? And I know that came with good intentions, but I don't think it was a very good question. And to be quite honest, it would often freak me out and make me panic. What's God's plan for my life? Well, I don't know. Am I supposed to know? Should I have my 50 year life plan all charted out where I'm to go to college, what major I will be, who I'm supposed to be married, what job I'm going to have, where we're gonna live, how many children we're gonna take, and what's our pet's names going to be? Is this the things that I'm supposed to know? Because I don't know. And if I don't know, will I be an absolute failure living in the basement of my parents? This was my thought. I'm just trying to make it to Tuesday and you want me to figure out forever and so I remember even agonizing in prayer, God, what is your plan for my life? And then to make it even worse, to compound the problem, there was a, another thought that was floating around that went something like this, that your good may be preventing God's best in your life. So I thought, oh, Great. What I think I'm doing is good, good direction, good plan, but is my good preventing God's best for me and what he really wants in my life? Well, I don't know if I was the only one that was thrown into a tizzy with this type of thinking and this line of questioning. Maybe I was the only troubled teen with inner turmoil, but I suspect that there are some like the rest Uh, that were like me, and uh, not only back then, but even perhaps now. And so my plan for you tonight is to relieve some of that burden for you, to answer that question, what does God have for me? What is his plan for my life? And like I said, Lord willing, I'm going to give you God's plan for your life and hopefully it's not ultimately my plan for your life but it's God and God's word and that of psalm 37 this is a wonderful psalm it's an acrostic psalm meaning that each stanza begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet and so perhaps i should have called this sermon the the abc's of your life or the abc's of your life plan and my plan tonight is to look at this psalm in general. We obviously won't be able to look at every part. There's so many wonderful parts to it, but look at it in general and then look at verses three through seven specifically. And so those are the points tonight. The overall life plan and then the specific life plan. First, the overall life plan. If you're paying attention, the the hymn of preparation before the Reading of God's word was chosen intentionally. And unless you're ignorant of the Psalms or you were completely asleep, then you would know that those words were taken from Psalm chapter 1. That Psalm that begins, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on that law, he meditates day day. And night. The psalm goes on to say that the the righteous are like the tree planted by the the riverside, and the wicked are like chaff. A psalm, no doubt that you are very familiar with. And Psalm one and Psalm two, as many commentators have pointed out, are like the the columns that all must walk through to enter into the rest of the psalms. They are the the gateway psalms, so to speak, to the rest of the. The Psalter, and therefore the themes of those two Psalms in particular set the theme, they set the tenor for the rest of the Psalter. You might even say that Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are kind of like the the tuning fork or the the person that would give the pitch before the singing of songs so that everybody else would be on pitch. So too, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are the pitch, so to speak, for the rest of the Psalter. And so you see these familiar themes throughout the entirety of the Psalms. And that is most definitely clear in Psalm 37, this idea that the, the righteous are established and the, and the wicked are like chaff. And that is what Psalm 37 wants to point out in spades. And so it begins, if you look at verse 1, with a wonderful reminder And he, in fact, says this several times throughout the psalm, fret not. Fret not. That is a great translation. You might see it or think that it should say fear not. Fear is definitely a part of this idea, but it is not the whole. The Hebrew word is burned. In other words, do not get burned up because of evildoers. Don't get hot and bothered by them. Don't get wound up. Don't fret. Don't be thrown into a tizzy, as it were. Because, as it says, we should not be envious of them. Why should we not fret and get wound up and get hot and bothered? Why should we not be envious of wrongdoers? Well, verse 2 clearly tells us because they will soon fade like grass and wither like the green herb. They look lush. They look like they have it all together. They look like they are thriving and that they are successful. Yes, they have nice cars and perhaps nice homes, whereas you are struggling with your old beat-up Mazda and living on the other side of the tracks. But guess why? It's only for a moment. Yes, in this moment they are, quote-unquote, doing well, but that's all it is. It's a moment a flash in the pan. And then it is gone. Because they are like green grass or green herbs. As you can imagine, grass and herbs in an arid climate would not last long. In fact, they wouldn't last long at all. Not even a day. Oftentimes they would spring up in the morning. And because of the morning dew, and by the afternoon with the blazing sun, they'd be withered up. And a ready died. And that's what the psalmist is saying. That's what David is saying, that they will soon fade like green grass or a green herb. That is exactly what Psalm 1 says as well. The wicked are like chaff that the wind blows away. Poof, and they are gone. Therefore, why worry? Why fret about that which is temporary and transitory, that's here today and gone to tomorrow. It's like the weather in Georgia. If you don't like it, just wait. It's going to change very soon. It'll change in a moment. So too the unrighteous. And fret not then over the current political situation or the current culture or the hot topic of the day. Why? Because it will change. And soon enough, it will be done away with all Together. Do you hear this throughout this psalm? Look at verse 9. The evildoers shall be cut off. Verse 10 In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at this place, he will not be there. Verse 20, the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pasture. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. Verse 35 and 36, I've seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away. Behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. So fret not. Be not bothered by it. Be not worked up about it. It'll only lead to to inner turmoil and inner strife rather than being at peace. And how often do we go fretting from one thing to another? How many things have we fretted over this last year that turned out to be nothing at all? And it seems like when one is done, we kind of quickly forget about that and we look for something else to, to fret about and something to worry about. It's like we go from anxiety to anxiety rather than being at peace. We need to be reminded that the the trouble in this world and the troublers of the world will soon be cut off and done away. And why is that? Well, it's not because we should just be happy and be merry for tomorrow we die. No, it's saying rather in this psalm that we should have an eternal perspective. Again, the wicked are like chaff. But the righteous, according to Psalm 1, are like the tree planted by the riverside. You think of a a giant oak tree, it has a sense of permanence to it. It's not easily moved, it's planted. So too the, the righteous. And the psalmist David says here that the righteous, they have an eternal inheritance Right, You read of this. Look back at verse 9. For the evildoer shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Verse 11. The meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Verse 18. The Lord knows the day of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. Verse 21 and 22. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land but those cursed by him shall be cut off. Verse 28 and 29, the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. Again, 37, mark the blameless and behold upright, for there is a future for the man of peace, do you hear the refrain again and again that there is a future, there is a forever, there is an everlasting inheritance that cannot and will not be taken away. So why are you trying to get everything you can in this life? None of it will last anyway. Those that hope and trust in the Lord will be richly rewarded. They will not only themselves be eternal and everlasting, but so will their inheritance. So is the land that they dwell upon. Again, Jesus takes that idea that the, the meek shall inherit the earth. It's one of the wonderful Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. So you might be saying, okay, I get it. I thought you were going to tell me God's plan for my life. I am. God's overall plan for your life is not to be a part of the wicked, but rather to be part of the righteous, to have that type of mindset, to not have your mind set on the, the here and now, to think that this is all that there is, meaning that your, your eyes don't always just gaze horizontally, but they look vertically. They're not just looking at the things below, but they're thinking of the things above, they're not setting your mind on keeping up with the, the Joneses. That life is about possession and power and prestige and privilege and promotions. The preacher of Ecclesiastes would say life below the sun is, is vanity. Vanity, vanity. All is vanity. That's what David says as well. It's perhaps a lesson that the, the preacher of Ecclesiastes learned from his father. You see it in verse... 20, that the enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pasture. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. Do you hear that? The glory of man is like the glory of pastures. It's a fading glory. So let me ask you tonight, is that your hope? Is that your desire? Have put all of your eggs into that basket, the basket of this world? And if you say, that's not me, And I would have to say, you're not being honest with yourself. We know the world system. We play the game very well. And the game of the world is that it's a a work reward system. It is a risk reward system. If If I do this, I get that. If I do more, if I do better, I get more. I am able to be rewarded with more money, more accolades, more Praise of men. And to be honest, it feels good. And so oftentimes we get on this rat wheel of life, chasing the the next bit of cheese, proverbial cheese, whatever that may be. And soon enough, we are spinning our tires, spinning our time, doing the same things, having the same pursuit as the pagans rather than pursuing after righteousness, pursuing after that which is eternal and everlasting that will not fade or be done away with. Jesus says something very frightening about the Pharisees when he talks about in Matthew chapter six, verse one, again, that passage of the Sermon of the Mount where he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. In order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? If you're doing it for the the praises of men, he goes on to say those that do receive their reward in full. They have received their reward, they got exactly what they were looking for. But you will not get that as well as the reward of your Father in heaven. It's one or the other, but it cannot be both. And so we're not to do it primarily for others, we're to do it for the Lord. He goes on to say if we we give money, we're not to to even let the right hand know what the left hand is doing, and the left hand know what the right hand is doing, because we're not to do it for the praises of others, or even for yourself, but the praises of God. Same way that you would go to work this week, yes, you should do a good job, but who are you doing it for? Is it for the accolades of your your boss or is it for the praise of King Jesus? These are convicting things, isn't it? And it demonstrates that oftentimes we, we put our hope in this worldly glory that is fading and vanishing. I think all of us could agree that we despise self-promoters, don't we? And many times we think that self-promoters are, are people that are very confident, are very bold in themselves. I'd actually say that self-promoters are actually demonstrating a form of insecurity. Why? Because the, the humble man is actually the confident one. The one that praises others instead of himself is secure. See, the wicked are primarily concerned about self Yet the glory will not last, it will perish. The righteous are concerned about the glory of God and the good of others. And to do that, you need to have the, a long view, the eternal view, not looking what I can get now, but my treasure in heaven, the eternal inheritance. Again, serving God and serving others with, with little concern of myself or what I get out of it. And what is incredible is if you, you have that worldview shift, If you change your perspective, it it changes your life dramatically, doesn't it? It takes you off the rat wheel. It takes you getting out of that game of keeping up with the, the Joneses. And it gives you peace because you need not fret. You need not be worried. You need not be bothered. Pastor Dale Ralph Davis who, Lord willing, we will have here this fall as part of our uh, Reformation worship, tells a a great story of World War II of General Moffat Burris from South Carolina. He tells the story of how General Burris, at the end of the World War, it was 1945, and the Allies were narrowing in on Berlin. And uh, the U.S. soldiers were told by General Eisenhower to stand down. to to not go any further, not to, to come into Berlin because the Russians were going to be the ones that were going to take the city. And so General Burris was saying that he was getting a little bored, saying that he was about ready to lose his mind because you can imagine, they were soldiers, they were always to be doing something, they were to be on the march, but now they were being told to just sit around. And so he says that he got bored. And so he decided to get in his Jeep and he took a lieutenant and he took a sergeant with him and they went exploring around. And in their exploring, they came upon a 15,000 German soldier battalion. And as you can imagine, they were stopped and they were asked what they were doing, to which General Burris said, I'm here to see your commanding officer. And so the commanding officer came out and asked, what do you want? And General Burris said, I'm here to accept your unconditional surrender. To which the German officer looked at him, seeing that there were only three, and they were many, and scoffed. And General Burris said, well, I don't think you quite understand. See, in a few hours, the, the Russians are going to be here. And you Germans did some nasty things, some pretty big atrocities while you were in Russia. And they do not look upon you kindly. So you can either surrender to me now, and I tend to think that I'm a pretty nice, decent man, or you can wait for the Russians. To which the German soldier pulled out his pistol, pointed it into General Burris's chest, And then he turned it around and handed it to him and surrendered. And so that day in 1945, a general battalion, a German battalion, surrendered to three U.S. soldiers out on a joyride. Why? What made the difference? Well, it was a different perspective, wasn't it? It was a bigger perspective. And in the same way, we are to have that perspective, that we are to fret not, fear not. Why? Because we are on the Lord's side. And it's much better to be on the side of a few, and yet it be the Lord's side, than be on the side with many, and it be the wrong side, the side opposing the Lord. Because Jesus says very clearly, wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many Who go in by it, but narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. And so, what I would say to you first and foremost is, God's plan for your life is be on the narrow path, and all will be well, no matter what is taking place currently. Well, second, the specific life plan. So instead of fretting. We are to give ourselves to a different task. And the psalmist, I think, gives us the plan. It comes in those imperatives at the beginning of the psalm in verses 3 through 7. In fact, there's four imperatives. The first one is found in verse 3. First, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. And so the first part of God's specific plan for your life Is trust him. Trust the Lord. Because that is the opposite of fretting, isn't it? It's the opposite of fearing and worrying and getting hot and bothered is trusting. And so put off fretting and put on trusting. Not trusting yourself or not trusting others or trusting your own provision or the work of your own hands. No, trusting God. Because he is the only one that is perfectly trustworthy. Again, at the end of the Sermon of the Mount, what does Jesus say? What is the analogy that he uses? He who listens to my words and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The winds and the waves came, but the house stood firm. Not so the fool, Jesus says, who built his house on the sand. The winds and the waves came. And great was its fall. What was the difference? Well, the difference between those two houses was that there were very different foundations. It's one that trusted in the Lord, trusted in His Word, and the other trusted in Himself and the way of the world. And the moral of the story then is to trust the Lord and what He has said, trust His plan. I'll never forget something that the Reverend, the late Reverend John Paul told us, our missionary uh, to Haiti. He said, every day I had to trust God because I had these children to feed. As you remember, he was in charge of the orphanage. So he said, every day I had to trust God that I would have food to feed the children. And some days I would worry because I did not know where it would come from. But he said, I would worry but the children would never worry. They would be without care in the world. And so let me ask you tonight, are you a child of God? Children never worry. If you're a child of God, the Father will always provide. That's what it means to be a child. It means to have child-like faith. To trust in who our Father is. Is Well, the second part of the plan is found in verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Trust so often can be an action of the, the will and an action of the understanding, but sometimes not of the heart. What do I mean by that? Well, I think sometimes we can have this kind of reformed stoicism. that says, I'm trusting the Lord because that is what I'm supposed to do, because that is what a, a good soldier does. But if we are fully trusting the Lord, that means that we are also delighting in the Lord, even in the worst of situations, that we would have the joy of the Lord, that we'd have the ability to worship and praise Him. See, the trust may be of the mind, it may be of the will, but when we put it together with delighting, that adds the aspect of the heart, the heart must be involved because our trust, our faith shouldn't be something that we are doing begrudgingly. No, it's because we want to. I'm sure I've used this analogy before, but if I would give flowers to my wife, and she's probably thinking, yes, this is an analogy because that surely does not happen enough. And she is right, that doesn't happen enough. But hypothetically, if I gave flowers to my wife, she may say, Why is this? What is this for? If I said, Well, it's because I have to, that's what husbands do, it's my husbandly duty. I'm not winning any brownie points, am I? The action is killed. But if I say, Well, I do it because I want to, I delight to do so, it brings me joy. That is how we are to live. We are to trust, we are to act, we are to worship. We're to do good because we want to. One of my favorite songs, Christian songs, is written by Andrew Peterson called Dancing in the Minefields. This idea that there are mines all around, but in a sense, who cares? It doesn't matter. We're going to keep dancing. I think that is the right perspective of what the psalmist would say here is that we're to to delight We're to rejoice in the Lord, even in the midst of our circumstances. Well, third, verse five, commit your way to the Lord. That would be the the third part, to commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. You might say, well, that's great, trust, delight, but there is action that needs to be taken. There's decisions that need to be made. And I would say, absolutely. And what do you do? Well, you should ask, for wisdom. You should use sanctified wisdom. You should commit those to the Lord, and then you will act. And what is it that you'll find? Well, I think you'll find Proverbs sixteen nine to be true, that the heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. See, we need not think that the Lord, the God Almighty, the one that is the maker and creator and sustainer and provider for the earth will ever be outmaneuvered by us. Something that God never says is, well, that's not something I planned. (laughs) Right? No, the Lord is using our plans. He's using our actions. He's using our desires and the delights of our heart to direct our steps. And we should never doubt that. It's how a Boy in Iowa can meet a girl in California and have four children born in Georgia. None of us would have been able to figure that out, even if we had a thousand tries. But it's so much better than what I could have planned for so many years ago. So commit your way to the Lord. And then finally, verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. That's probably the most difficult part of this. We want everything now. We want instantaneous solutions, but the Lord is not on our timetable. Praise God that he's not. But as Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. The Lord is not concerned with your timetable, only his own. And Christ is still on the throne Everything is under his rule and under his domain. And so what should we do in the light of that? We should be still. We should be content. We should be patient. I don't know about you, but one of the best times of the day in my home is when our kids are sleeping. When the house is quiet. And you sneak into the rooms and see your children sleeping and resting. Spiritually speaking, we are to always be resting in the Lord, have that peace that surpasses all understanding. And so when the world looks at Christians, when the world looks at you and asks, how is it that you can be at peace in this circumstances or whatever is going on in the world, because it seems oftentimes like your life is on fire, the world is on fire, but you are not worrying You're not fretting. You're not having that type of panic. Why? Because you have this eternal perspective. You have the calm amidst the storm of being still and resting at peace in God. Again, you might say, how is this God's specific plan for my life? Well, I tell you with any decision be it big or small. This should be the process. To trust, to delight, to commit, and to be be at rest. And if you do those things, then let me say this to you. And let me say it emphatically. You are fully doing God's will. You cannot screw it up. You cannot mess it up. And so when people come to me as a pastor and they say pastor i'm struggling with this decision i'm struggling with this this life decision this life altering decision that i need to make this is usually my plan this is what i bring them through and i'll ask them are are you trusting the lord do you have faith and obedience in him are you delighting and worshiping him Is any of this hindering that? Is this decision going to hinder your your worship and your delight of him? Have you committed it to the Lord in prayer? Have you asked for wisdom? Are you using sanctified wisdom? Are you using the wisdom of, of others, good advisors around you? Are you resting in him? Are you having peace? And if they can answer those things with some legitimate Right answers of of yes, I think I'm I'm trusting. Yes, I'm I'm delighting. Yes, I've committed this to the Lord in prayer. Yes, I, I'm resting in Him and I having peace. And then I'll often ask one more question. Well, do you want to do it? And if it's yes, then I'll say then do it. And if it's no, then I'll say don't do it. But don't wait for God to write it in the clouds. He's shown you the the path, and it will be. all right. I'll say this and close with this. I think we often get far more caught up in what we do, which is not altogether bad. I'm not saying that that's not important. But generally speaking, I would say that I believe God is less concerned with what we do and much more concerned with how we do it. And the how would be trusting, delighting, committing, and rest, resting. I would say to you, that is the recipe for a holy and a happy life. And so God does have a wonderful plan for your life. Overall, keep the eternal perspective, knowing that life is but a flash, so fret not. And in that flash of a life, trust, delight, commit, and Rest. And all will be well, all will be well. well, let 's go to the Lord even now in prayer, Lord, we thank you for not leaving us without revelation and without understanding with what you would have us to do. and so, Lord, I pray for anyone that is hearing my voice, O oh Lord, that is here tonight or would hear this recording, oh Lord, that is trying to struggle with what you would have them to do, Lord, I I pray that you would lead them through this process of this aspect of what is it overall that you would have me to do to keep the eternal perspective, not just the, the week to week or month to month or even year to year, but what am I doing that is going to last for eternity? And what is that eternal inheritance? And am I investing there and in that? And then, Lord, with the, the more specific questions of, of what job to take or, or who to marry or, or where we are to live, Lord, I would pray that you would lead them by your Holy Spirit and give wise counselors around them that would help them to lead them through a process like this, to have them trust and delight and commit and ultimately rest and be still in you, O Lord. And Lord, would you prosper their way? Would they be like the tree planted by streams of water, that their fruit is ever abounding and their leaf does not wither, O Lord? That is our delight. We want to produce good fruit, O Lord, of eternal significance, that gives much glory to you as our God and to Christ as our Redeemer and the Holy Spirit that empowers us from day to day, would you help us, O oh Lord? And would you lead us in the way everlasting? If we pray this in Christ, amen.